Hello and welcome to Baylor Connections, a conversation series with the people shaping our future. Each week we go in depth with Baylor leaders, professors, and more discussing important topics in higher education, research, and student life. Today we're visiting with one of Baylor's newest faculty members, Dr. Stephen Newby. Stephen Newby joined the Baylor faculty this summer as the inaugural Lev H. Pritchard III Chair in the Study of Black Worship. Dr. Newby brings a background in music, scholarship, and ministry to the new position, which provides interdisciplinary leadership, research, and more, including efforts associated with the growth of Baylor's Black Gospel Music Preservation Program. Prior to Baylor, Newby served on the faculties of the University of Michigan, Trevecca Nazarene University, and most recently, Seattle Pacific University. He's also built a parallel career as a renowned composer and recently served as Minister of Worship in Atlanta's Peachtree Church. He's currently at work with retired Baylor professor Robert Dart, master teacher and emeritus professor of journalism. They're working together on a biography of Andre Crouch. And there's a lot going on, a lot on your plate these days. But Dr. Newby, I really appreciate you oh. taking the time to join us and share the work you're doing here at Baylor. Thanks so much. Eric, thanks for having me here. It's such a, it's such a joy to be able to share. And, uh, you know, to our listening audience, uh, we hope these are words of encouragement and and that our human flourishing will soar everywhere. And Derek, I appreciate your historic work with these podcasts, uh, proclaiming positivity and what's happening at Baylor and how Baylor is embracing the world for human flourishing. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate that very much as uh, well, Dr. Newby. That, that means a lot. You know, we've got a lot of great people here at Baylor that we get oh, to, yeah. uh, to, oh, to yeah. visit with for, <laughs> for sure. Well, so, so my first question for you, Dr. Newby, I had the chance to visit with you when you were when you received the job. You described it then as a dream job. So got to put it to the test a few months in here. Are you finding that to indeed be the case? Yes, this job is about people. And the community is so wonderful. There's a lot of good work being done here. And it's a wonderful balance of generosity, hospitality, academic rigor. And people share their hearts and you can see their heart language and their passion. And people get to do that work and pass it on to the next generation of students. This is so exciting. <laughs> Dream job. Yes, indeed, my brother. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's great to hear the enthusiasm shines through here. And I want to, as we visit here, I know there's a lot of different aspects of the work you do in music, but position that you have here is the Lev H. Pritchard III Chair in the Study of Black Worship. When we talk Black worship here on the program and through this role, just what all falls under that umbrella? What does that encompass? Well, it, it's archiving, documentation. Um, it's also theological work. It's also ministry, academic rigor. It's also creating. It calls for innovation, a little bit of administration, and a lot of networking. And under the auspices of Black worship, when you think about how broad and how sophisticated that is, not only African-American genres of worship and denominations, but also what is, what is uh, Black all over the world, so, from Trinidad to, uh, oh my goodness, to Africa, 
you know, we get to explore and and discuss the dynamics of God doing this work through God's people and how God's people respond in worship. And there are non-Black congregations that use Black idioms in their liturgics and which brings another lane of multi-ethnic sensibilities in our Christian gatherings, which is huge. It's huge. That's a lot Absolutely. of work. <laughs> a lot of work for sure. And we're excited to dive in that with you here on the program. But before we talk about what you're doing right now, I want to go way back a little bit and uh, ask you uh, to kind of maybe the breadcrumbs that brought you to this role now. Just take us inside the role of music in your life. When did when do you first remember music having a hold on you? I, I remember when I was about eight years old, I was improvising on the piano. My mother asked me, do you want to take piano lessons? I turned to her and said, sure. And then I immediately turned back to the piano and, and just improvise. And I think that was the, that was the invitation, uh, but I've always been curious. I've always played several different instruments. I played clarinet, flute, trombone, guitar, uh, bass, which brought me to the idea of writing and arranging and being composer and orchestrating. I, I, I was always curious and in our household, there were five children and my mother made us all take piano lessons. <laughs> and so many of our battles were around the piano. Who's going to get the next time to practice? And uh, we look back at those days as siblings and we just relish in in, in the fantastic, fun-tabulous times that we had as siblings, <laughs> you know, battling out. And my mother had this idea that if there was not a lot of noise or music going on in the house, it was not good. So you'd hear a flute over here, Claire over here, my sister played a little violin, and my brother played trumpet. It, it was just a house full of, uh, full of music and people making noise, you know, with their instruments. And so uh, it, it was a very joyful time. And then I started you know, playing at the church at age 13. And my mother was a minister of music and father was the pastor at New Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan. So I grew up in Detroit. And then high school, there was a lot of music. I played in the band, sang in the choir. Um, I went to Madonna University and I studied music, undergraduate uh, vocal music education, flute performance, then did a master's at University of Massachusetts at Amherst, where I studied jazz, uh, I had a master's of music in, yeah, jazz composition and arranging. So I spent time with Yusef Latif, Billy Taylor, um, Fred Tillis, and then the gospel music came in, the gospel music scholarship came in when I worked with Horace Clarence Boyer there at UMass Amherst as a graduate student. Then went on to do a doctorate at the University of Michigan in composition. That's basically the journey. The journey, <laughs> yes. And, and do I recall, you, you received a uh, degree in theology as well later on, is that correct? Yes, yes. I received a master's of arts in theology. It was almost like a double master's in 
in, in Bible, scripture, theology. And I took a lot of electives around the idea of Black worship and theology of worship. We are visiting with Dr. Stephen Newby, the new Pritchard Chair in the Study of Black Worship at Baylor. And so, Dr. Newby, what you've just uh, described are three distinct strands to your career, music, education, and ministry. And I guess I would say, you know, composing and performance, because music plays a role in all of this. But those three chords, how did those come together for you to kind of weave together into a, a, a career that's, I think, really unique? Well, I think it really started in my upbringing because our parents were all about ministry and the church. And so it was something that that was modeled before me and it was a way of life. And I saw being involved in ministry as normative. And of course, when you're in a church and you're doing music, you, you, just, you're, you're, you just lean into it but the education piece came from a curiosity, wanting to learn more. And I, I just couldn't stop uh, learning when I learned about Miles Davis and Stravinsky and Duke Ellington. I thought, oh my goodness, I need to learn more. And that's when I worked on the doctorate in and then later on in life, you know, the theology degree, I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied with the way I, I could talk about uh, Bible and theology and what my music did. And so I spent almost six and a half years working part-time, you know, working part-time on that degree while I was working full-time at Seattle Pacific University and trying to get tenure at the time. Wow, uh, but the but the interesting thing is, I think those three strands for me are necessary. Uh, I'm I'm a human being, man, and and I think they bring balance to to the equation, and it has been hugely impactful in my life to lean in those three areas and then the beautiful thing about it all is community the community that develops when you bring these three arenas together which really gave me um, a great gift to network because when you're working in the church, you're working with people from all these different disciplines when you're shepherding and, and hanging out with people. And then, of course, who doesn't love music? <laughs> and then who doesn't want to be equipped, educated, and discipled? So I think that those, those are the things that uh, I leaned into, which gave me the gifting to be a, a networker. And Dr. Newby, we, we we talked about this position, the 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 Pritchard Chair. When you first heard about the uh, the opening in this position, uh, what were some of your uh, initial thoughts? Uh, what 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 stuck out to you when you first heard about this? Man, I thought of a lot of people that could do the job, but I really didn't think. Oh, I don't know if I 
if I necessarily have the capacity for that, because I was looking at so many other people that I felt would do really well. Um, and then I really prayed about it. Uh, I was, I was encouraged to apply the first time and I, I just held back. But the second time when I was prodded, I said, okay, I think God is trying to get me to look at this because I didn't want to do it out of a self-centeredness, you know, like, like, okay, like this is something I want to grab it. But, but I do remember when I finally got in the running, I remember I was on a retreat. I was on a silent retreat and I was praying. There was a still small voice that came to me and asked me, do you want the job? And I have it in my journal. That this is written. And I, I heard this small voice ask me, do you want the job? And I remembered I could, I could hardly get the air to come upon my breath to support. Yes. And I said, yes, I want it. I really want to do this job. I, I really want it. And then I remembered this huge calm over my spirit. And I said, well, I'm not going to worry about it. I, I, I talked with the Lord about it and, and I've done the best I can do. And then when I found out I got the job, I was ecstatic. It was, it was outrageous. Um, and I thought about the possibilities to, to do this work in this space. And I knew it was from the hand of God. And boy, it's a calling. It's a calling. <laughs> well, it is this position, and you know, you've really been able to to dive right in. I want to ask you two a two part question: What are some of the your initial priorities in in taking this role, and why is Baylor University the right place to be doing this kind of uh, of work? Not just for you, but just this work in general. Well, I think Baylor being an R one institution is huge. I think Baylor being Christian is huge. I think Baylor took an initiative and obviously Bob Darden, who Robert Darden, who who's just, oh my goodness, he's he's such an incredible soul, beautiful soul. And the story on how this music came about, I mean how the archives came about and how he how he embraces this music. And that that spoke volumes to me. And and I I don't take it for granted. So it is important to build upon what, what Bob Darden has done. So I think what's critical is that we've got to take like these next 20 years out of it after the golden age period of gospel and find these recordings and archive and digitize as many recordings as possible. That's, that's, that's priority within the next couple of years. Um, the other thing is, is to build systematically a network with other scholars around the country, this idea of accessing the archives and contributing scholarship, articles, blogs, other things, uh, other forms of discussion and discovery around this and doing our due diligence with the music and telling the stories that this black music matters. Maybe this is uh, boiling it down to such a simple thing, but I want to ask, you know, you think 
donors have invested in the Black Gospel Music Preservation Program. University Libraries is invested in sustaining and growing it. The the, the Pritchard family, uh, they invested in this position to enable someone now you to to pursue the to do these scholarly pursuits how how important is just that kind of focused funding on an area that i'm going to say that you you can tell me from my wrong that probably for too long maybe in a lot of circles where it was underappreciated and didn't get the attention it deserves i'm appreciative to the to the pritchard family uh for for making this uh contribution is huge but I think about almost 40 years ago the late Horace Clarence Boyer had he had this opportunity 40 years ago how further down the road we we would have been with regard to this scholarship and we have a lot of work to do a lot of work to do so I'm appreciative of the opportunity. I'm appreciative to the donors, uh, but we can't stop here. We have to keep uh, finding uh, entrepreneurs, researchers, the, uh, the the philanthropic community to 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 lean in and to help uncover the magic and the mystery of 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 this music. is is quite profound. You, you realize that 10 years ago, universities weren't even really thinking about this as being serious music. And so we're in a, we're in a new millennium. When you think about it, the last millennium, Horace Boyer was there doing this work. And the most support he got was, you know, with through UMass Amherst and the Smithsonian. But uh, we are breaking ground and not only gathering the information, but how do we talk about the music? How do we discuss it? I think we're just scratching the surface on the aesthetics and the epistemologies of how we hold this music and what do we do with it and how it should be taught. You know, I was about to ask you what what do research and scholarly priorities look like as you think about studying Black worship, Black gospel music, and other forms? Is that one of them, and what others are there? Every denomination, African-American denomination, really needs to have a key person to speak from from that vantage point, from that lane, from that perspective because the weight and the depth of of black worship is quite vast. And there are nuances that are different, but yet there are core ingredients that are similar over denominations. Um, I'm I'm concerned with our younger generation, uh, Generation Z, that uh, some of them don't even realize this music exists, that there's been a disconnection an ecclesiological disconnection, an ecclesiastical disconnection with with this younger generation. Uh, They're not attending church. You know, Black churches, uh, as much as we want to believe that they're flourishing, there are challenges. There are huge challenges. And some of it is intergenerational worship. And how do we how do we bring the families together? How do we bring the people together? But that's a whole other sociological discussion. So we have a lot of work to do and a lot of challenges. We need resources. 
We need money. We need time. We must bring the pastors, lead pastors, senior pastors, and they must bring their ministers of music and worship pastors to the table so that we can have broad discussions of honing this tradition, honoring the tradition, and what is the way forward. So to network, to create conferences, roundtable discussions about this, because there are crises. Think about this. Had it not been for the Pritchard family, would this post exist? Right. That's my point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And every university, Christian university that's serious about this music, And when they have African-American scholars who want to do the research, they need support. And I'm very blessed. I don't feel entitled, but I'm very blessed. And this is a rare situation. So I have a responsibility to network with other colleagues across universities and bring them to the table and have discussions on, on how do we do this the way forward with regard to research. This is Baylor Connections visiting with Dr. Stephen Newby and Dr. Newby. As we head into the final couple of minutes here, I want to ask you a piece about the uh, the book you're working on with, with Bob Darden, Soon and Very Soon, The Transformative Music and Ministry of Andre Crouch, The Light Years. What's a, a favorite moment or, or nugget from you that you might share from that uh, the book to, to, to pique people's interest when it comes out? Oh, my goodness. Well... Andre was a networker and to see the early years of who he networked with, how it shaped and formed his theology, how it shaped and formed the way he innovated from his curiosity and wrote music and composed. That there's some things we're gonna, when you get the book, it's just, a, this, is, this, is, this is astounding to see the dramatic effect of how Andre did this work. And, you know, he had this white drummer, Bill Maxwell. And so what in the world is this white drummer playing for a contemporary gospel band? Andre was one of the first to really begin to think about biracial, multi-ethnic, and intergenerational worship. It was in his band. And you see the story, you see Andre's story through this, through this text. And I don't want to give too much away, but I will say again, Andre was about people. He was about loving God and loving people. And it took him places that very few gospel composers and artists and pastors will be able to even go. He set the path, set the tone, pushed and prodded under the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was, it's amazing. His life is amazing. So I can't wait for people to, to dig in. And, and this one final thing, Darden has the whole journalistic thing going. In, in the narrative, and he's he's a master interview. We we had to interview over over two hundred people, over over, and, and it it was extraordinary, just masterful. And then I bring a different kind of scholarship with regard to musical analysis and theology, and uh, 
African-American performance practice of the music. Mm -hmm. So think about all those threads woven together and we're presenting the work of Andre Crouch and the disciples. Soon and very soon, you gotta, this book is gonna be available. I believe around fall 2024. All right, we'll be looking forward to that. And Dr. Demi, one final question for you. As you were describing Andre Crouch and the ways he broke ground and connected people, loved God, loved people. I mean, I, maybe I'm saying something obvious here, but my final question for you is how much of that is a, uh, is a, is a motivator? How much of, of that is just a, a picture of what you want this Pritchard role and the work that comes through it to be? I think Andre Crouch is a great model for this, for this post. Um, I'm approaching this post as a composer, as a musician. Uh, when my work is done and someone else comes along, uh, it may be a theologian. It, it may be someone that sits in the truth seminary, or it may be someone that sits in the religion department or the soci sociology department. But I think the common thing in the, all these disciplines is if we don't learn how to work together and to network with people that we would not normally work with, uh, we may not be able to get the work done. Uh, but Andre got his work done on his watch. My hope is I'll get the work done on my watch. And as I pass it along, someone else will get the networking done. You know, it's a, it's a play on words. Jesus told the disciples to cast the net on the other side of the boat. And I think the Pritchard role, this opportunity is being a fisher of people and casting the net on the other side and pulling them in to the love of God and the love of gospel music and engaging in this idea of black worship. Because black worship is not just for black people, it's for everybody. That's wonderful. A great place to, to close here. Well, well, Dr. Newby, we appreciate that and look forward to what uh, you have in store through the role. What's ahead with the Black Gospel Music Preservation Project. Oh. We really appreciate your time. Derek, Derek, thank you so much. And, and I just want to give a shout out once again to my buddy, Robert Darden. Thank you for laying the groundwork. And Ella Pritchard, thank you for laying down a foundation financially for us to carry this work through. And Derek, thank you for this interview. <laughs> well, thank you very much. It's been great to visit. Appreciate it very much. Dr. Stephen Newby, the inaugural Lev H. Pritchard III Chair in the Study of Black Worship, our guest today on Baylor Connections. I'm Derek Smith. A reminder, you can hear this and other programs online at baylor.edu slash connections, and you can subscribe on iTunes. Thanks for joining us here on Baylor Connections. <laughs>